0: Welcome to the Street Photography Magazine podcast, priceless inspiration and advice for street photographers everywhere. Hello again, and welcome to the Street Photography Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Bob Patterson, publisher of Street Photography Magazine, and this is the place for inspiration and advice by street photographers for street photographers. Typically, we publish our podcast every other Thursday. But I'm adding a special one this week because I am so taken with the work of our guest today, Meryl Meisler, who I had the pleasure of meeting in person at the Miami Street Photography Festival back in December. Merrill is a native of New York City. She's a photographer. She's an author and a teacher. And she's been recording her life and the world around her with her camera since the 1970s. Inspired by masters Diane Arbus and Helen Levitt, she has her own unique style that is both artistic and historical. In the meantime, here's Ashley and my conversation with Meryl, where she shares both her photographic and life lessons that she learned during her journey. And with us today is Meryl Meisler. Meryl is, uh, I, I don't know what to say, she is a very accomplished photographer. She has been, her work has been featured everywhere her photos have been hanging just about everywhere in galleries she's uh she's actually a former art teacher uh from uh from new york city but uh, meryl has done numerous books we're going to talk about some of those not too much because she's our featured photographer of may coming up so uh we're just going to give you a little taste but i met meryl at the um Miami Street Photography Festival. I've been admiring her work for a long time. got to meet her in person and see her speak, and it was phenomenal talk. I've stolen many things that she said and, and had readily admitted it. So, uh, Meryl, welcome. How are you today?
1: Thank, thank you so much, Bob. I'm very happy to be speaking with you and your audience. Thank you, and, and Ashley.
0: You blew the surprise. Ashley's on with us today, too. So.
2: <laughs> Yeah, it's exciting to be here with a photographer who's been documenting New York City for decades. That's exciting. Yeah,
0: um, really. She photographed around uh, New York during the 70s. You know, we're about the same age. You got out of college about the same time. And uh, But anyway, I don't want to blow that yet. I want to give Meryl a chance to tell us about herself. So, Meryl, how did you get into this? Of all things, especially going to school up in Frostbite Falls. There, where'd you go, Wisconsin?
1: I, I started taking I, my first photography class was at the University of Wisconsin when I was doing my master's degree. As as I when we when we met in Miami, when I I told you and told everyone I, my my background and passion for photography. I realized I need to credit my dad, Jack Meisler who was a printer by trade, but a passionate photographer of mm. family. And then his father, my grandfather, Murray Miser always had a camera on him and a light meter. And through them, I, I absorbed that photography is just something you do because you love doing it. And it's important not to yourself and that, and that in itself is, an, is enough. And I got my first 620 box camera at the age of seven and photographed, you know, friends, family, kids on the block, Girl Scout, Girl Scout adventures, school <laughs> trips, going to college, things, that you, sweet sixteens, just life. And, and but it wasn't until I was graduating from undergraduate school, I went to Buffalo State College, and I became an art education major. I never took a photography class there, but deciding to, to go to grad school or not, one of the schools I applied to was the University of Wisconsin at Madison because my my one of my professors at Buffalo State went there, recommended me. Also I have one Yankee grandmother, meaning that all my other grandparents were <laughs> born in Eastern Europe. But I have one Yankee we called her my Yankee grandma, because she was <laughs> in Connecticut and raised in Wisconsin, in Marinette, Wisconsin. So I always had a feeling about this. And University of Wisconsin gave me a scholarship, and I, through, through a, someone I was a camp counselor with heard that they had a good photography department, a great, well, one, one teacher, Cavalier Ketchum, and, 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 and I thought, I'm, well, well, I'm going there to get my master's in art ed, because you had to get your master's within five years or lose your teaching license. I thought I would take a photography class on how to use a real camera. And that started me on my adventure. I bought a 35 millimeter Minolta SRT 101. <laughs> and put on it on, on the plane and was reading the instructions and jammed the camera. And that is very <laughs> typical of me with most equipment, as you could tell by using my microphone.
2: <laughs> not,
1: not, not very technical. And I started, to, took an introduction to photography class and working in the darkroom to backtrack the year before that. My senior year in college, I went to the museum and art show, and Dion Arbus's retrospective. And all I could say is I was very moved and touched by these very beautiful, honest photographs. And I was uh, struck.
0: And you've been doing it ever since.
1: Yes, yes. And then this, and this, and in this photography class, Cavalier showed the work of many photographers you know, of, of the WPA in the documentary realm and. What mm-hmm. actually hit home was the work of Henri Lartigue, who photographed his family when he was a child, growing up in century 20th century Paris. And they were really fun, loving, hysterical photographs of <laughs> people in their everyday costumes of life and fashion. And when I went home on vacation, the first thing I did... Inspired, I think, mostly by Arbus and Lartigue, as I started photographing myself, my family, my friends, doing the goofy things that we do. And I started going into the closet and in the attic and getting out my ballet outfits and tap outfits and documenting what I knew for you know 19 years before that. And when I went back to school and developed the film and made a contact sheet, the professors. Looked at them and said, "What is this?" I said, "What do you mean? What is this? <laughs> it's places? What, what's got stuff going on in the walls? These backgrounds, this decoration, all this stuff on the... Oh my God! What do you mean?" He said, "I've never seen anything like it." I said, "Everyone's house looks like that." <laughs> <laughs> and and he went on to, and to me that was my normal reality. Yes, everyone's. I mean, that's, I mean this is why, we're like we This is where I'm from. And he explained to me, because he had photographed the Native American population in New Mexico. And so I'm talking about photography as being a a source of like anthropology and sociology and, and things that are that it's it's a it's a record of a time capsule of history. But also the things that people put in their homes and decor reflect from where they're coming from. They bring things from from their ancestors from their current life they things that are very meaningful and it tells a unique story and i became more interested in the details of the backgrounds really i was setting up my my interior photographs were like stage sets i think that's also influenced by the fact that i went to broadway shows <laughs> my parents went to broadway shows seriously so then i got a medium format single lens camera i used Norita Graflex which I just got fixed 2 weeks ago. I'm so happy. And and I started using that camera because I wanted more detail. And that became photography was not my major during my masters. I switched from art ed to drawing illustration was my major and and photography was my my minor. But my my graduate show was my drawings and and my photographs and the, the irony is that the photographs from that master show are the work that's getting known now, so boy I am I glad I saved on to save that work and I'm glad I have those prints and now vintage prints, and I kept them in boxes and I have my negatives because forty years later they have greater significance and so I feel extremely fortunate but how I started, but, <laughs> but the fact that photography was a norm in my family as being something that people did with the pure joy of it and being introduced to some of the most historical work in photography and thinking of it as as a way to express a time and a place while, while you're in the midst of it.
0: I remember during your talk in Miami, you, you ended it by saying, You're a historian, telling all of us, the audience, that we're all a historian. And that makes so much sense. I didn't really think about it like that before until you mentioned it. I mean, and personally, since then, I've been trying to do more of recording just things that are going on in our own lives here. I've really been enjoying it. It seems like most of us think we have to go somewhere else to photograph. But you show us there's so much good things you can shoot right in your own home.
1: Nodding my head, yeah. <laughs> and, that, it, and of course, this is Bob, and actually, this is in retrospect. I wasn't so mm-hmm. conscious of it at the time. Other than that, I felt like I, I, wanted to document the people who were important to me in my life, and had been a part of my life all along. And and wanting to do self-portraits, you know, Before I even knew about Cindy Sherman. And, uh, or even the world did. I just felt this need, and and when I did come back to from graduating school, and I moved to New York City and carried my camera with me. Just really being amazed about this world that I was, other world I was a part of, and going back and forth to Long Island. So I, I think I did have a sense of uh, that I was in a special time and place. But I don't, I got a total awareness that I was capturing history in the making. But the standing on the stage of a history museum in Miami, it synthesizes, because here we are all (laughs) together, street photographers, and here's this museum recognizing and hosting it. And really, it is a form of very visual history, especially something like street photography. It's very real. No, it, it really, it's... It's genuine. No matter what it is, those are real people on the street. Cars are what they are. The objects that they're having are what they are. The the, the, I was going to say the costumes, the fashion. It is. It's it's genuine. Even if they're wearing costumes for a parade, it's it's never exactly like that. And that again, I mean, these are the real people who are there right then and there, and you can't make it up. And so it is a piece. Of, it is a slice of history being presented in a rectangular or square format <laughs> for, yeah. you know, for the world to, to see and to hold on to. And with time and editing, you realize it's like polishing a stone. It's like a it's, a, it's multifaceted, and and they can be very brilliant. Yep. So we, we are witnesses to history, and some of us carry. Some of us write the history, some of us are the movers and the shakers, some of us are legislators, but as people who are in love with using the camera to navigate their, their way through this world, your part is really important as well.
2: Um, um, I was just thinking that I love that you shared that experience and both faces, I guess, are. Or- Both sides of the coin taking images of your family in suburbia and in the city I feel like that's something that has stumped Bob and I for a while we always talk about how do you do street photography in the suburbs but I feel like you got to the heart of it you're in the home you're documenting you know because yes, suburbs can be cookie cutter houses and all look the same but what goes on inside is is different. Each family has their own story. And I love that you documented your family's story. I think that's a really beautiful way to capture life in the suburbs.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. Yes. Yes. To be invited into anybody's home is, or to feel comfortable to go in anyone's home is a very privileged situation. Uh, you know, it's, it's very, it's very intimate. Mm-hmm. It, it's a, it's a, it's a, literally a welcoming. People are really open, literally opening themselves up to you. And so the the people I photographed were all like you know, my, my my parents, friends, my best friends, their families, neighbors that I I knew them my entire life. Yeah, we were, they were these were not strangers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: These were people I knew most very well. So that was really a, a nice coming home piece. To and 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 I feel really happy that years later when some of these works just being shown for the first time some of the people come come back in touch with each other and and they came to see their their family picture in Stephen casher gallery when i had a show there wow they've seen their or their i find out that picture still on their refrigerator i mean that, that made me feel feel good you know feel good, <laughs> feel good about it or that marriage is still intact, or this person bought their family home. Uh, so, and I, and thank you for acknowledging that it, that is just like any religion or spiritual, <laughs> religion. there's a lot of different kinds of practices and, and people mm-hmm. who are stringent, and, and I feel that the street photography approach of being open to the moment and what's for you doesn't have to be just on the streets. However, I I need to respect those people who feel that way. So I, I define street photography as being in a public setting. But it's the same aesthetic and eye view that comes in when you're indoors as well. Yeah, I agree. You, you bring that open eye and open mind. And you bring yourself wherever who you are. Everyone you know, <laughs> it's how, how you see the world.
2: Yeah, it's true. We talked to a photographer the other day, and we were talking about the suburbs. And she was saying... She said, I live in the suburbs, and what do I do? I get in my car in the garage, open the garage door, drive out. When I come back, I go back in the garage, shut the garage door. So mm-hmm. it, on the street in the suburbs, sometimes it's hard to find interesting subjects. But I think that by going inside, you've captured that candid street photography feel, even though technically you're not on the street of a city. Thank you.
1: and, you know, and I, 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 I do need to acknowledge at the time I was aware of the work of Bill Owens, who wrote, in his Suburbia series. So mm-hmm. acknowledge the people who influence you to say, hey, you know, I know that. You know, I mean, that, that's California version, you know, showing <laughs> you the Long Island version, which still surprises me that my professor thought he'd never seen any, anything like it. Just like, <laughs> I see that in, in, in Bill Owens photographs. Yeah, so Suburbia has its own. View, and there's just less people walking on the street. <laughs>
2: yeah, I like how you contrasted the both sides, um in your your purgatory and paradise, suburbia and the city. It's like you get that complete view.
1: Thank you. That was the purpose. I mean, that was my second book. My first book was tale of two cities, disco era Bushwick, which was contrasting disco and Bushwick, and and I and people looked at my Bushwick work and. And a, a common commentary was the fact that the that despite the fact that the neighborhood looked distressed, people seemed to be having fun and, and enjoying themselves. Mm-hmm. Really, mm-hmm. it made me reflect on like, like well, you know, this, I need to acknowledge where I come from because that made me see this way. It made me feel feel this way, or or as part of who who I am and and what created the vision that could see the lighthearted and the everyday fun in life, no matter what the circumstances, and that came from my family and my upbringing. You know, there's, you know, I'm, I'm Jewish, there's a lot of Jewish comics. It's part of my, my outlook, uh, and in, through difficult times, through tragedies, that also comedy helps.
2: Hope. Yeah, I feel like you can definitely feel that in your images. It they feel joyful. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And
0: that's then. a good uh, good observation.
1: Thank you, and, and it's also purposeful. And that's that that's in retrospect reflecting because I realized, especially with my bushwork work, that I I photograph the upbeat things because this is my job, and I was there for fourteen years, and if I photograph the things that Was so sad, and you know, if I focused on the crackwiles and then needles and strung out people, I I don't think I could have gotten up and gone to work the next day. I had to focus Mm -hmm. on the positive, but so that was an unconscious, conscious decision.
2: I'm sure that's a quality that helped you as a teacher, too, just instilling that joy in, in children.
1: Uh, absolutely. You, ha- you have to, I mean, yeah, absolutely. If you don't, I mean, if you don't like kids, it'd be very hard to be a kid. <laughs> if you couldn't find the ironic laughter in everyday experiences, especially in the middle school area uh, level, you, I don't think you could come back the next day either. So that was part of uh, the magic of these images trying to look for the positive and and appreciate the everyday joyful humor and 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 beauty of everyday life i think that's the same that runs through my nightlife pictures street photography on the streets of new york um, i mean i still photograph you know i still do all the time i thank lartigue he looked for that that it in his early photographs, or the one that I'm most familiar with, looking for the lighthearted, um, I'm going to say it wrong in French, or just joy, joyful outlook on life and and relationships. I continued to try to strive to find that half, half full glass in the <laughs> world where sometimes we feel like we're in a drought.
0: Yeah, I would imagine, I mean, Working in Bushwick, I mean, you were there every day. So you saw the good as well as the bad, where most of us who don't live in an area like that would pass through and mainly see the rundown buildings and, you know, scary people on the streets and you just drive on through and and don't realize there's a lot of good things going on there too. And you certainly knew that and captured it.
1: Thank you. I I, I, I want to acknowledge that myself. Self, to, it, took, it took that to see that there was something special in these images, even though they were taken with a point-and-shoot camera. And hello, thank you, Helen Levitt, for, for introducing me to, to the beauty of kids just being kids in the streets of a city. You're influenced by those people whose work inspired you. You know, We stand on the shoulders of those who came before us, being introduced and appreciating the work of great photographers and sunshine shot photographers, it, 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 they were inspirational. All this work was helped me open my eyes to capture what I felt was worth hitting that shutter button for.
0: We talked to lots of photographers, obviously, and many times I've heard people say, I never look at anybody's work. I don't look at any of those people from the past. I only worry about... The things I'm doing today. Do you think they're making a mistake by not studying the people that came before us? Like you said, you stand on their shoulders.
1: I don't think <laughs> they right or wrong way approaching your artwork. Um. So if you if yours is you want to be a fresh start, fresh eyes, sure, that's fine. I mean, but separate. It's really interesting. It's it's very. I guess if you're a writer you'd, and you're working on biographies, you'd probably read other people's biographies just to get a sense of what great writing and editing is about. It can't hurt you. It doesn't take long. <laughs> but but, but we'll, everybody's different. So I'm not going to um, criticize somebody for their wanting to be a blank slate. It's almost impossible. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's impossible in this day, uh, day of age of not seeing other people's work. So yeah. I
2: would
1: say, yeah, but take a peek because it's interesting. They lasted the test of time. You know, If you're, if you're a musician, it'd be really great to hear someone else's work. You know, if you have the, the privilege of hearing the early recordings of a great jazz musician and you're doing whatever style of music you're now, it's, it's actually fascinating. You probably like it better because you're not sitting, you're not sitting reading what you might consider a boring history book. You're actually going to a place where you actually have an interest in this kind of work. Give it a chance. Of course, look. <laughs> 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 of course look.
2: Bob, Bob shared with me um, some lessons learned you presented at the Miami festival. And one of them that I noticed was that you said you're you are a unique witness to history. And I kind of tend to think even if you look at someone else's work, you're not them. (laughs) You still have your own unique view of things. And even if you like a certain kind of work or are influenced by it, it's still your vision. No one else has lived the life you've lived and and see things the way you see things.
1: I totally you with agree with you Who's reading with? i said i <laughs> it really it is amazing that you know ten people could stare to be at the same place and photograph the same thing, and none of them came out the same mm. at all we have it's like a handwriting
2: it's mm-hmm.
1: difficult to forge someone else's handwriting. It is the magic of seeing and perception that is undeniably so special and 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 if you acknowledge I mean if someone said Arbus your your work is copying Arbus like yo, no yes my work is so so influenced by Arbus it's a of course to say yes yes indeed isn't that wonderful (laughs) you know it's like I'm a landscape photographer and I'm and I've looked at the work of Antle Adams, not, you know, you, you can't even, you can't, it's almost impossible to make a good copy. Do, your, mm-hmm. your style will come through. It has no choice. It will come through. It'll get refined. You'll, you'll, you'll refine it. But it, you are a unique human being and no one has the exact perspective that you have, which is pretty amazing.
2: Yeah, I think it's refreshing, too, because you don't have to worry about, oh, I'm going to be copying somebody. It's like you. I love how you said that. Your perspective will come through. <laughs> yeah,
1: and, and you're referencing them. You're, if you were a, a reporter, you would quote you know, who you, your, your sources. It's like you have, you have sources. And you, you're not. Uh, you're a historian. You looked at other books. It, it's it's okay. It's fine. It's not going to take away who you are. It's going to add more to your repertoire and appreciation of seeing. You, you know what? If you're lucky enough to have your eyes working and and visual, everything you see influences you, and and that's a good thing because even when you're not carrying your camera, you're seeing. You're looking, you're thinking you you're you're noting a moment that like oh my god, that was you you witnessed something special, and okay, you didn't record it, but you recorded in info in fact those are the moments you remember most in your mind, and it'll influence you it's okay if you were a singer you don't- you're not on stage the entire time, you're actually talking and thinking and speaking and practicing. <laughs> At every, not every moment is on stage, so if it, not every moment you're photographing and making masterpieces, but you're always looking, and then when, even when you're sleeping, you're seeing, so it's all, it all ba- builds up to your vocabulary and and your recognition of what's special about the world around you. Or what you want to, you know, or if it's your work as a, a narrative, your allegories, set up situations, you're 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 building upon the vocabulary. It's like having many. You're building up your 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 the languages that you speak. You know, it's, it's you're enriching your your palate. so, With,
0: so pay attention.
2: Why not continually <laughs> enrich your visual vocabulary? <laughs>
1: We do it all the time
2: We have no choice <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you're alive it's happening huh? yeah if
1: you're lucky, if you're, lucky you're, you're, you're alive it is happening you're lucky enough to be alive and well enough to go to be there hey this my i'm friends with flo fox she's a blind photographer she's legally blind but but her <sighs> photographs are uniquely her own i've and you've, seen her work yeah yeah, and, and even that and an, she has advanced stages of MS and can't mm. the camera herself, which she gives to, to an aide, you can tell that her, that's her vision. Wow. Says so. says so much to me. That's the way you see. It's the way you perceive the world, whether you see every detail or you see shadows and darks and light. A magical form of technology and art.
0: I'd like to ask you another question. Uh, From Your Lessons Learned. He said, editing takes time and perspective. Can you explain more about
1: that? Well, me personally, I didn't quite understand my work while I was doing it. I found it very, very hard to edit work and thought I was all over the place. But I just continued to doing it, but couldn't synthesize what was going on. And decades later... Looking through my work, I started seeing big themes. I started actually understanding more about myself, about the work. I mean, I understood, like, I was looking through all this work from Bushwick. After after, after I retired from teaching in 2010, in 2007, I started looking through my Bushwick files, and 2010, really still obsessed with them, and then realizing the strength of them and becoming it's really making my focus on finding it. And, and, and even, and be able to look through the boxes and say, you know, okay, this one's nothing special about this or like, Oh God, it's like blurry or some of the boxes were against a damp wall in the basement. and I literally had mold mm-hmm. on them. Mm-hmm. That, seeing the, seeing the gems, seeing that these were really beautiful images and Working on them, working on them. And then being invited by a um, a place called Bazaar in Bushwick. It's a burlesque drag club that has a basement gallery. And its guy, John Stéphane Sauvier, so invited me to show my work down, down that basement bar. And I'm, first I wasn't going to thinking like, you know, I've been in work in museums. Uh, <laughs> and, and my writing co- collaborator, at the time, Vanessa Martieri, a girl from Bushwick, said, don't be such a snob. And anyway, <laughs> going to time and perspective, going there and looking at the space and realizing, you know, showing the work Bushwick work in Bushwick made sense. But here I am at a club and I'm like, look up, there's a disco ball. And I go to the restroom and there's a disco ball. And it just hit me uh, that I learned about Bushwick for the first time in 1977 in the, during the dark out. When the black, there was a big blackout and I was uh-huh. in Dakota Studio 54 and, and the, the blackout happened. So that didn't happen. But the next day was when the my world or the, the news hit about a neighborhood called Bushwick that had, that there were riots and burning and looting and, and some sort of like, gee, someplace I certainly wasn't on my radar I wanted to go to. And yet I find myself teaching there a couple of years later that I, I got the idea right then and there that's like you know what i have all this disco photographs. these work these two bodies of work go together and and mm-hmm. it, like somehow they connected which was like like this a synapse, happened, a synapse happened looking at that disco ball in the restroom and when john stefan sauver said I, you know he told me let's. he wanted to make a book of my work which i thought like i thought it was out of his mind but it, it, it was never going to happen. But he, you know, cause about the show, because it's about Bushwick, it's history. And I said no. But I also want to show my disco pictures because this work goes together. And he goes really. I said yeah. Yes, I have all these photographs of disco and disco and Bushwick really belong together because this is, because of my personal story and also the time in, in time in New York City history and. And he said, well, well, can I see them? I said, well, I have to find them and scan them. I've never shown them to anyone. anyone. And because I was familiar with my Bushwick work, when I started looking through the negatives very quickly, I was seeing matches. I just thought things that yin-yang, things that spoke to each mm-hmm. and that, And I did that very quickly. And So that was a sample of time and perspective giving a whole new angle of looking at my work and understanding it. And putting it together in a way that made sense and that became a, a surprise format that worked for a tale for that for that series the Bushwick and Disco, which I'm doing another edition of in the midst of it and then realizing that moving going backtracking going going looking where I came from, that the contrast of of Long Island and moving to the city that, and this during the same time periods was was so important shaping who I was and my vision and and how I saw the world that even now, as I'm still photographing and I'm like, um, you know, there are grants that come up and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, I don't really have anything or it's like there's nothing I'm focusing on directly. And I said, you know what, Meryl, give yourself a break. That's how you felt your whole life, that you were all over the place. Yes. Okay. You're all over the place. And know what, stay healthy, live long enough. This will make sense too. Just continue to do what you're doing because, because then what, in time, it'll make sense. Coming back decades later, and looking at work that you never seriously looked at, you can realize what's unique and special, and that it does makes it does make sense. And editing is important process. But to be kind to my younger self, when I look at through my vintage prints, what I have, they're really some of the best images that I would still pick. So it's confusing while you're in it. But that, that's not saying a young photographer came to a, a presentation I gave a few weeks ago. He said, well, you know, do, do I just need to wait until, until later on? And it's like, no, you know, if you are of the inclination that you feel the strength, this is what you're doing right now when you want to get it out there right now, go for it. I'm a different person. I've never saw myself as a commercial photographer. I made my living as an illustrator and as a teacher. It was something I did continuously as my personal art form. But, but if you don't, on the, on the other hand, if you're passionate about photography and you keep on doing it and you're having trouble understanding it or editing the work, I'm like, you know, I hear you. I felt the same way. And, and, and then it's photography, we have this advantage point that it does become, it doesn't get outdated. It becomes more important, like the finest champagne in the world. Hmm. It, it, and it won't go bad. It, it actually gets better and better and better because it, has a, it enters that realm of history along with art it's very special, a different art form you might feel like i'm not temporary enough, and we go through this and it's like was this people i can't be a, be abstracts out now it's portrait photography or i mean portrait painting it's you're doing what you're doing, and it'll only make more sense and give yourself a break, but find people to look and work with you know do I encourage people to be part of. Creative communities. Uh, um, I've always been a member of a, a group called Professional Women Photographers. It's like my Girl Scout troop. It's, <laughs> uh, it's good to have other, you know, have other people who share this your obsession and, and yeah, and opp- opportunity to look at work, talk at work, exhibit. You don't. We don't all have to be. You know, not everyone's going to be in museums right away, and no one's going to. You know, we're not all. You know, I don't have a Guggenheim, you know, I don't have to have a solo show in a museum, yeah you know, things like that. But doesn't mean that your work is not legitimate or that you have valuable. It's valuable. And it'll get it'll get more valuable.
2: I feel like the lessons I'm taking from that is to be patient with yourself and to hold on to your work. Yeah. It's easy to lose your work in the digital age, but hold on to it. I I think that sounds like an important lesson you've just taught us.
1: Thank you. Yes, I think it's very, I'm very grateful that I held on to my work in, in the negatives in the digital age. Seeing, learning from my lesson, you know, metadata could be the essentials of what's going on. You know, uh, street scene, nightlife. But write, write more New York City, whatever it is that you write those samples with metadata. But I think go a little wilder. Write a little bit more about what's going on in it. You know, this is, the, this is the day that, you know, you've, you've got a divorce. Whatever it was, that it's happening because you'll be able to find it later. You may not remember. I guarantee you, you won't remember all the details that you think you're going to remember forever. And it really helps to have a few notes about it. Digitally, I find it more challenging to find images. I'm actually back to using film back to using my medium format camera and, and, and black and white film and back in the darkroom, because I love it. And, but but your, your, your archive is your archive. And I am very glad that I held on to it because I could have just thrown, thrown most of it away and say junk, junk, junk. <laughs> but even working on two books and now working on a, I'm actually working on two more at the same time and going back through the images that I've looked at seriously, for several shows and, and two books, I'm seeing things anew that I didn't notice. And I, in my head, I liken it to when, you, when you're, you're in a place like New York and you see people on the subway and they could be reading a Bible, they could be reading the Koran, a Torah, that people reinterpret every day reading the same passages, same passages or similar passages, and s- seeing new interpretations I feel like that's how it is looking through your work again and again. It's like I didn't notice that was a strong photograph. It was so you're seeing the subtleties more. So uh, I'm feeling that I'm feeling that right now, you know, just going through and going through it again and again and saying, "Wow, how did I miss this? This is a powerful image."
0: Do you get help from other people in evaluating your past photos, especially putting a book together?
1: I do most of it on my own. I don't live alone. I live with my partner Patricia O'Brien, you know, my my life partner, and she she she's been designing the work. Right now, I'm working with with bizarre John Stefan Sauvair, who happens to be a. Uh, <laughs> she just happens to be a film director at the same time just this past weekend I've been working silently on my own on a concept you know for for months I mean really months and months and months of scanning and then I put together a pdf and I emailed him images and his perceptions I totally respect. And he you know, wrote back, "Whoa!" <laughs> he said, Let, there's so many gems here. I mean there's masterpieces here, and let's focus on the masterpieces rather than just the matchups, I will, for the final decisions about which ones, because there's so many, I'm very glad to have his feedback. I'm thrilled when I work with a gallery that a curator. I love being curated. That's, that's great. <laughs> it's like, oh, when I had the, the exhibit at Stephen Cashin Gallery, it's like, they curated the work. I, you know, they see things differently and choose things that you might not, I'm, I welcome feedback. But most of it is the hard work. i found the hard work on my own. Can't make it hard work, you have to t- say it's like, it's what I need to do. Like I said, if I don't do it, who else is gonna do it? Take the time to look at yourself, so look at your own work and treat yourself like you're, you're trying to encourage a best friend.
0: Hey, you've got some very exciting things coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, and in fact, next time we talk to you, you're going to be back from these events. You've been a, chosen as an artist-in-residence in two different places at, uh, at Yotto and Saratoga Springs. New York, and then up in uh, Syracuse later at, at Lightwork. What can you tell us about these, and what do you expect to get out of it?
1: Well, this is, uh, thank you for acknowledging this is something I've never done before, you know, and, and, and I'm very excited about it and, and nervous as well because I've, I'm going to be away from home for nine weeks. I'm going to package up all my negatives from the 1970s, all the binders of books and things like that. And I'm bringing them with me, and I'm going to be heavily editing and printing in the darkroom, editioning work that's never been printed before. And I have a lot of it in my mind already picked out because I needed to do it for the proposals. But there'll be a, a lot more, and it'll be very intensive because I haven't, I did my own darkroom work in the 70s, you know, when I was in school. And then when I graduated college, and I set up a darkroom in my cousin Elaine Rosner's laundry room and then I and then I w- became a, a school teacher and yes it, and I was working most of the time I was wasn't using my darkroom eventually disbanded it and set up a dark room in school as well but I was wasn't printing my work or even developing black and white film anymore. I was onto color slides and digital but I'm back to back to working with with negatives in the last two years, I've taken introduction to, to photography again. Really? <laughs> I, I live across from the Fashion Institute of Technology, FIT in New mm-hmm. York City, and I enrolled in Darkroom 101 classes again. And Last year I printed, did a show in the Lower East Side at, at a place called the Storefront Project on or- Orchard Street, and and I printed work from the Lower East Side at, uh, 40 years earlier, and I wanted to print it again in the Darkroom and, and that was quite exciting. And I, and that, that I did I did those 11-inch 11, 11 by 14, but now I'm going to go bigger. I'll go to mm-hmm. 6 by 20. I'm looking, do I do 20 by 24? Do I 16 by 20? But I recently went to an exhibit at Clampart Gallery here in Chelsea, and there were these beautiful Arbus prints, and they were 16 by 20. That's good enough for me. That's fine. I want to get it done. I'm a very working middle-class person and I have to make it affordable as well I need to be able to afford to buy all the paper and do it and so in order to order to do this huge archive I've decided I'm going to keep it 16 by 20 I have it I can buy the paper and, and spend the months doing it I know I'm not going to get it done all of it done in, in the nine weeks. Because I can acknowledge that this person's work, who I'm looking through, and she has a name similar to mine, Nero Meiser. She has a lot of really amazing photographs. And they deserve to be printed, as I envision them. Give her a chance.
0: What an opportunity. So when you print, will you be doing any processing, dodging, and burning? or you just print them as they, as they were?
1: Bob, I am a printer's daughter. My dad was a commercial printer, not, not photography, but, but like I, I, believe, I wanted it to be a beautiful print.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it, burning and dodging does go as part of it. I'm not manipulating. I, I barely crop at all. Most mm-hmm. of, say 99.9 percent of the time, I don't even crop the image because I fortunately see that way through the camera, but I'm not against. I certainly um, want to enhance the prints to be as beautiful as possible. So burning and dodging does take part of it. And actually in the class that I've been taking, the last that I've it again and again, I've learned about s- split processing. I think I'm saying the wrong word, where you work with fil- filters and you can do you go for the lowers and the lower values and the higher values and you put them together in one processing one one print is like it's quite magical it'll take it'll be hard to get into the rhythm because i've never spent time alone in a dark room where i didn't have to like clean up and, and go you, know, you only have an hour or two and get out of there out of way it's like i'll be able to work intensely mm-hmm. i'll probably have no melanin left when i come out in may i'll be like a piece of chalk if i hopefully i'll have a a new unseen body of work, and it is di- a print is different than an image you see on the screen or in the book.
0: To me, there's no comparison, and you have full control over what it's going to look like. Who knows what that person on the other side of the country, what their monitor is calibrated like?
1: and and, and the surface, of the paper. I mean, like a drawing. You wouldn't say a painting is the same when you're looking at in a book or no. you're it. At at it's like the, the surface of the material is special. Everything yep. about the richness in it. Yeah, I think I think there's a spirit. I actually I know there's a spirituality inside the, the printed image. <laughs> I once went. Okay, this is a good story. In 1974, I went to when I was at, at the University of Wisconsin Madison. I was friends with someone who was very spiritual, and he introduced me to a. A reader who could read photographs, and you, I brought photographs. That's my dog. She's licking. She's drinking water in the bowl. And her. And I brought photographs that were significant to me. And you played some face down in front of the this spiritual person, and she was able to tell you about the people in the photographs having not seen them, and significant things that happened. She knew about great sadness my grandfather had taken his life and she knew she knew that something terrible happened to him even the photograph didn't say it happened there are cultures where photography is not permitted i feel like you're taking their soul Mm -hmm. through this experience and i would think i went twice to her for reading i know that there's something that gets absorbed in those in prints i don't know if that happens the same in Computer prints, and I wish I knew about somebody else who could read photographs like this. Wow, I've never heard of that before. Well,
0: <laughs> it so Meryl, before we wrap up here, yeah, I want to thank you for being with us today. Where can people learn more about you? Where can they go in the digital world to, to find you and learn about your books? Hopefully, buy some.
1: Well, of course, Merrill Meisler.com, and believe it or not, I'm still secretive. I don't have that much work on there, but you, please do follow the link to Strand.com, which Strand is also the Amazon dealer, but please support brick-and-mortar bookstores. They're important. Yes. By ordering Purgatory and Paradise, Sassy 70s Suburban City, you will help make the next book happen i'm going to be in some museum shows coming up in the spring i'm actually going to show it i'm I have an installation in, in uh, nottingham contemporary in the united kingdom right now
0: i and, saw that
1: yeah thank you and in and in may it's going to be a show at the i'm going to be in a show at new york historical society google merrill meiser i'm actually i'm i'm actually quite out there a lot which is very very fortunate thank you Thank you, Bob. You know, for people interviewing you, it's it's wonderful.